Hello, 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 and thank you for joining us on another episode of Popcorn for Breakfast. With me, as always, your co-host, Kirk. Hello, hello. What's going on, Kirk? How you feeling? I'm feeling pretty fresh for 10.30 at night on a Monday. Yeah, buddy. Is it only Monday? It is only Monday. God have mercy. Luckily, it's a short week, but somehow I think that makes it worse, too. Man, yeah, the because then you have to cram everything you would normally do on five days into four, even though, yeah, well, as we all know, work should only be four days a week. That's for sure. Um, well, I'm your other co-host, Cam, and I'm still still shell-shocked by the fact that it's only Monday, but we're here. We're here, and I'm excited to be here. This is probably the most exciting part of my day, and here's why, Kirk. We're talking about a little movie that released over the weekend. Um not sure if you've heard of it. It's called Spider-Man No Way Home. Are you familiar with that? Mm. No, no. This sounds like one of those new comic book movies for kids. Have <laughs> That's you, right. Have you seen this movie, Cam? Oh, yeah. So we're talking Spider-Man No Way Home. We've talked about it at length probably for over a year at this point. Before we knew it was called Spider-Man No Way Home, before we knew what the plot entailed, before we knew Doctor Strange was in the movie, before we knew anything, we've been talking about it. It's the third installment in the Tom Holland MCU Spider-Man series, and it sort of represents the end of this initial trilogy, which is not a spoiler. They have been saying that, you know, in the press and all these sorts of things. But speaking of spoilers, if you're listening, and maybe you're listening for the first time in a long time, and you go, oh, these are the guys that do the spoiler-free reviews. Nope, we stopped that. We stopped that many months ago, and... We are going to be letting the spoilers fly tonight. We are going to be breaking this down in detail. We're going to be talking about all things Spider-Man No Way Home, all things MCU, really. We might get into Hawkeye a little bit. We might get into... We might get into uh, you know the next the next uh, Doctor Strange movie. We might get into a whole bunch of things. There's lots to discuss, but for those of you who were, as I was saying that, kind of half listening, you're driving in the car, listen, I get it. I'm going to say it one more time. Mm-hmm. Spoiler full. There will be spoilers. If you have not seen this movie, please recuse yourself. Please leave. And I say that with love. And then come back after you've seen it. But let me tell you, Kirk, that the number of people that haven't seen it might be pretty small because I don't know if you saw the news clippings this morning in your in your morning edition of the newspaper, but Spider-Man No Way Home in the middle of a pandemic opened to the second best domestic opening in box office history, $260 million. It beat out infinity war and is second only to Endgame in the middle of a pandemic. So booyah kasha. That's insane. That's insane. I, I mean, I never like, I never would have thought it could be possible, but they did it. I don't know how, but they did it. And Kirk, you and I first went, we went opening night, um, eight, eight o'clock Thursday night. We were there and we talked about it immediately. As soon as we saw each other, we were like, this is, you know, we go to the movies every week basically mm-hmm. and, and have throughout the pandemic. Um, and so we have sat in a lot of empty auditoriums over the last year. And so pulling up to that theater and having to park in the back row of the parking lot, I was like, you know what? Absolutely. This is great. This is like stepping into a time machine and it was so great to see Kirk. Were you were you pretty floored by that? 
I was. I had the opposite reaction, though. While I was grateful that the theater was full, I was very annoyed. I've been very comfortable and used to, Cameron, parking in the front row for the past year and a half. And I I reluctantly walked through the frigid cold to get to the front door to watch this beautiful film. You were like, wait a second. I was here watching The Green Knight (laughs) in an empty auditorium at 10 p.m. on a Monday. And, you know, I saw Free Guy at 11 p.m. on a Tuesday night. And, and I now I have to park in the last row for all these, right. Right. For all these Eastern spot? Christmas. <laughs> these are the this is the, the same as the Eastern Christmas church people. That's, that's the same. It's the same group. Mm, you're talking about the Creasters. That's the right. Creasters. The Creasters. Yes. Yeah, that's right. That's yes, what it felt like. That's what it felt people. like a little bit. But I was happy Something to have was- them. Yes, yes, we'll find you. We, we know you, we see you, we feel you, and we understood, we, we saw you immediately inside the movie theater as you were fumbling with uh, not knowing to do your pre-pickup order. I know. And you sat like 90th in line, and then you hopped to the pickup order to get your snacks, and you're like, no, 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 you have no pre-order food, and you had to get out of line, and that was just my exact experience. Yeah, I was like, wow, the that's very specific. But yeah, the <laughs> theaters were packed. They were packed for this movie. Everybody was seeing this movie. As I walked down the hall, I, I went twice this weekend when I saw it on Sunday uh, with my nephews. I walked down the hall, every single showing Spider-Man, 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 all the way down the hall to the theater. And it it just really, it brought a tear to my eye. It was a beautiful thing. So this was a huge win for the box office. This is a huge win for the MCU. Again, uh, this is good. You know, I know that the pandemic is surging right now. We've all heard everything about that but this was this felt good this felt right and it was it was good to be to be back in a packed auditorium with the hoops and the hollers so why were they hooping and hollering let's talk about this movie kirk let's talk about it let's get into the nitty-gritty let's get into all of the details about spider-man no way home and here's the thing Kirk and I were talking before the show and normally we do, you know, for people who listen regularly, we normally do uh, a breakdown of the reviews in a very consistent order. We do our, our best actor, scene stealer, director shoes, showstopper, all that stuff. We're not going to do that tonight because this was quite the movie event and it requires a more detailed breakdown. And frankly, like, I don't even know how I would go about approaching it that way. And I'm sure we'll score it at the end. But here's what I will say, and maybe this is kicking the conversation off in the wrong direction, but here's what I will say. I have never emotionally reacted to a movie in the same way that I reacted to this movie. I had, in this movie, basically tears running down my face for the entire second half of the movie. Literally, Mm -hmm. the final hour 15 of the movie, I was a mess. Also, in one particular scene, and we'll talk about it, I had the longest extended consecutive goosebumps that I've ever had in a movie theater experience. And it was also, and I don't know if you can attest to this, Kirk, it was the rowdiest crowd that I've ever heard in a movie theater ever before. What was your experience like? All of those same things, all those same things. Um, I tried to be strong. I couldn't see you crying in the darkness of the theater. And I was assuming that you could see me. So I was, restraining them to my eyes and uh, and trying to hold them back as best I could. So next time you will hear me sobbing like a baby. Um, I will say that uh, this was the most, uh, the 
the most that I've touched you, I think ever, Cam. I think I was so excited. Oh yeah, and, just like uh, hitting each other, like yes. yeah, like like at a sporting event. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong. Like what, my love language is touch, 100. percent And I was just like grabbing your arm and squeezing. It yeah, at it times. was like I it mean, was like being at a live sporting event. Like <laughs> yes. you're like hitting your buddies next to you, like yeah, like getting getting everybody fired up. People are like high fiving. It was chaos. I mean, it was pandemonium in there. It was just so so much joy. I could not contain it inside my own self. So. So this was quite the event, quite the, quite the experience. And I have heard of other people going and having like a really quiet theater. Um, there's a TikTok of when Matt Murdock shows up in the movie yeah. and this kid goes, yeah, silence. No, no one else has a word. And he's like, oh dear, <laughs> I walked into the wrong booking of this. And so I'm so glad that we got to experience what we did on Thursday opening night. Yeah, I will say that when I went on Sunday, it was a it was a different experience. There was still cheering at certain parts, and there was cheering at the end of the movie. But there were like so the Matt Murdock thing, good example. In our first showing, everybody went nuts, like "Woo, let's go!" You know, everybody Mm -hmm. was really fired up. The second time I saw it, it was mostly like murmurs. (laughs) You know, like it was like people being like, "Oh yeah." That's Daredevil. <laughs> That's Daredevil. You've seen him in the theory of everything <laughs> and in the first episode of Downton Abbey. That's Daredevil. That's the guy. Yeah. So it was a little bit different, but still like still some electricity. So I feel if you, if you didn't have a great electric opening night type experience, I feel so sorry for you because it was seriously insane. And basically what I was getting to with that. And this is going to be an interesting conversation because this gets into the what is film? Is it entertainment? Is it art? Is it a mixture of the two? And what decides what is a good movie? I, I think it's a hard conversation to have, but I would say that based on the way that I emotionally reacted to this movie as a Spider Man fan, as a comic book fan, as a movie fan, um, and as an MCU fan, I don't see how I could give it anything less than a 10 for the emotions that it elicited from me. And I've never given a 10 on this podcast, but I, I don't see how I can feel all of those things and have that reaction and experience what we experienced and not give it a 10. I really don't know. But, you know, I know mm-hmm. it's not going to be nominated for Best Picture, and so that's where the art thing comes into the discussion. And I'm, I'm sure that's fine, but, like, but this was this was the single most impactful live movie viewing event I've ever been to ever. And I've been to in game. It was rowdier than in game. And I went to all the star Wars prequels and sequels opening night. And it was rowdier than all of those by a long shot. I, I just, there was nothing. I've never seen anything like this in a, in a theater ever. Isn't that crazy? It just tells you how powerful, how relatable this character is. Uh, And not only just Spider-Man, but each actor uh, because of course in this film, we brought back the big three. We we have Tom Holland. We brought back Tobey Maguire. We, as in you and I, we brought it back Andrew Garfield and each of them kind of marks a different point in time um, in culture and in, and in where we were at in life when we saw these movies and it'll mean something completely different for our kids when they watch these movies, either they'll watch them all like in a marathon or they'll watch a series and then, and then take a break. And it's, it's so cool how that happens. And and to your point about, um, is it going to be nominated for best picture? Is it going to get all these awards and accolades, uh, besides just graphics, right? 
the thing is, is that the reason I feel that we can allow ourselves to feel so strongly about this film is because it's giving these illusions with an A back to these pieces of art, um, which extends past the other movies that they were in. It extends past into the 90s animated series. It extends into the comics. It extends into whatever imagination art that we played with, with uh, being in these costumes and running around our houses and neighborhoods. Uh, so to that point, I, I, to- I totally agree with you. It, it's bigger than that because what is what is film uh, and art if it's not alluding to, en- to anything else to remind us and to connect us? Yeah, I think I think the Academy or like any any sort of major, you know, voting body when it comes to film tends to lean more art because that's their, you know, that's their school of thought. And most of those people are educated in that region. And I don't even think they know what to do with a movie like this, because this movie cannot stand alone. All of its strength comes from the from the ties that build into it. You know, it's very similar to Avengers Endgame. That movie cannot stand alone. If you watched that movie and had no context, you'd be like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life. And I think that would feel very similar to this. But the point is that Peter Parker is perhaps the most impactful fictional character to ever exist in the modern era. I mean, honestly, like it, it might, to your point, Kirk, might be the most relate, the single most relatable and lovable and all of the adjectives <laughs> of a character that has that has existed in our age. You know, people love Batman, but there's something different about Bruce Wayne and Peter Parker. Peter Parker could be anybody. He's like the nerdy kid and he and he doesn't come from a place of hatred like Batman does. Batman's all about vengeance. Bruce Wayne's all about avenging and Peter Parker's all about like I was given this responsibility and I need to do the best that I possibly can. I need to try my absolute hardest. And and there's just something so very human about that. And so for this to be the ultimate, you know, what I would call the ultimate Peter Parker cinema story, there's just, there's no touching it. It's, it's untouchable and I will remember it forever. Yeah, for sure. All right. So here's what we're going to do with this movie. After all of that, and the fact that I just effect, effect, effectively gave it a 10, we're going to break down this movie in three chunks, the first act, the second act, and the third act of the film. And we're going to talk about things that were notable, things that we liked. If there were things that we didn't like or things that we noticed, we want to dig into it. How do you feel about that, Kirk? I love it. Let's do it. All right, so let's start with the first act, which we're going to call uh, from beginning of film to the part where Peter locks Doctor Strange in the mirror dimension and kicks off this plan to save all of the villains that have been dropped into uh, his reality. So starting there, first of all, this movie, in my opinion, hits the ground running incredibly quickly. The pacing is torrid. Like, I mean, it just goes. Um, you pick up right at, right where you left off from far from home. All of a sudden, it's media frenzy. Everybody knows who Peter Parker is. He's getting arrested. He's getting interrogated. And then it's like, Boom, Matt Murdock shows up and is giving Peter Parker legal counsel in one like maybe minute and a half scene and then he's gone for the rest of the movie. What was your take on that very first bit? Were you happy with how it went? Were you happy with the Matt Murdock cameo? Like what was your overall feel? Yeah, when I think about it, uh, when I got to the end of the movie and I was like replaying the sections in my mind, I was like, "Wait a second. So much has happened. Like this yes. journey 
do not take any unnecessary journeys. <laughs> <laughs> like this, this was a, a very necessary journey. It, it lasted, it, it felt like it lasted a lifetime, but you're right. Those, those moments, they were just like rapid fire to us uh, from, from swinging MJ right out the gate, getting her off the ground and protecting her and seeing possibly the Hawkeye reference uh, of, of Rogers, the musical and, yep. and getting into the, getting arrested and getting, getting out of there with, with Matt Murdock. I really specifically really wanted more Matt Murdock in this movie. Um, I don't know how they could have done it, but maybe I honestly, maybe two more scenes, maybe just more of a connection. Like it almost not that it was a throwaway because it makes perfect sense because he is in this area. He is in this world and it would make perfect sense for him to be a public defender serving Peter Parker who has no funds, right? He's, he's applying to colleges and he's looking for full scholarships. He does not have the money. Tony, Tony left him no money because he knew he had to make his own carve his own way. And I think that the, the pacing was fantastic. I do think Matt Murdock could have had a little bit more of a connection, even though it was well played at the same time. Yeah, I think I think it, it was it was crazy to have that cameo so fast and so matter of fact. Like, here's Matt Murdock and like the Matt Murdock from the Netflix series who's like not MCU until exactly this moment. Like that's such a huge thing for for big fans of the of the franchise. But to use that as as basically an intro, a launching pad for for their relationship, I think is effective, but also I feel the same way as you. I'm like, I don't know how they could have mixed him into it more without making it too busy of a subplot, but I do like the idea that they're like, they know each other now. I wish there could have been some way for Peter to sort of put together that he could be a superhero so that when he inevitably encounters Daredevil that like he'll be able to put that together and they can know things because if we're going to have you know we'll get into it as the end of the movie sets up if we're going to have a friendly neighborhood spider-man for a little bit like and and daredevil is going to be doing his thing in new york like we could see plenty of team-ups between those two in the future so it would make sense if they knew who each other are but right unless the goal is to also just allow characters like that to walk in and out and in a cameo sense, it did. It, it didn't feel like a cameo. It felt. No, yeah. It did feel natural. It didn't feel like. Oh gosh, I can, name name a cameo. Uh, like the Doctor uh, Strange one in Thor uh, Ragnarok. Yeah, I think yeah. people complain about that one a little bit. They do uh, because it's like, why? Why did this happen? It was so brief. Was it necessary? Um, uh, there, there's just um, you know, like when celebrities in the '90s would just pop into films and yeah. you're like, oh look, it's Hulk Hogan. And you're like, like why? Why? Right? This right. was not that, and it made it seem like. Yeah, at any moment we could have uh, Jessica Jones walk into any any Marvel movie, and she could just say hi. She could make an insult and walk out, and it wouldn't feel like a cameo. Well, and that's what's great about comic books as a medium is like if you read a Marvel comic book now, like you're excited to see a character, but you're not phased if some character just randomly pops into your story. Like, and, and that's what I think that they're starting to get to with the MCU, which is really cool. Like the fact that we can just like throw Matt Murdock into a scene and it feels natural and cool. And then he's gone and it's fine. Like he, he was only needed for that one thing like that. That could be a cool place to get to. Right. Cause when you think about like, why isn't, why isn't Tony helping out? Well, we kind of solved that problem with uh, the first two Spider-Man movies, right? With the, the Tom Holland Spider-Man. It was like, 
Tom Holland was in trouble. And then Tony sensed it. And he was like, you know, watching him. He's like, hey, I got you. Boom. Like, save the day. Doyas Machina. And then all of a sudden, he, he just wasn't there. So we have these moments that have already been kind of uh, laying the foundation for this. And now it might be, it might be, hey, man, I'm really struggling. And someone just walks by and like punches out a bad game. Like, got to go. I'm saving another problem. Good luck. You know, <laughs> walks yeah. out of the frame. Like, this is what it really could be, which is exactly what Matt Murdock did. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so moving on beyond that, we we then get, you know, some some good, interesting things about the relationship between MJ and Ned and 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 Peter as they're kind of going on this college admissions thing, how the Spider-Man situation is impacting their ability to fulfill their dreams by going to the same school together. And then we get the scene on the bridge, which every bit of promo material that came out before this movie showed Dr. Dr. Octopus and Spider-Man on the bridge fighting. Like that was basically all we got. Like every, it was hilarious. It almost became like a hilarious bit. Like every week it was like new still from Spider-Man, no way home. And it's like Peter Parker on a bridge, Doc Ock on a bridge. I'm like, okay, we get it. This scene is the thing. Um, so we get that scene. We get green goblin in that scene. Uh, thoughts, thoughts on the bridge fight. Did it live up to the hype? It did. It did. It, it really, at the beginning of it, I felt like, oh, this is it. It's like a two second scene and we're going to keep moving on. And then it kept going like a really exciting, um, powerful action scene, um, which was roped into what are these guys doing here? Um, Peter has no idea. And just some really cool um, effects uh, of fighting styles, right? Because we got to see Doc Ock with his arms back. We got to see Spider-Man try to like figure this out. He's never seen these people before. Um, and then try to figure out what they're, you know, defend himself accordingly on the fly. So all of it was super cool. And more importantly, I thought it was really cool that we got to see a more scientific uh, Peter Parker yes. uh, expert in this film. Yeah, they definitely made that a point in this film at multiple different points which i think is so great because that's that's something you can't lose with this character because it helps keep him grounded um which is so 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 critical as they scale things up to make sure that he's still relatable and like he's just a nerdy you know science kid or like a you know an a student type of type of guy but i think that's a good call out and then also in this scene we do get introduced to to the green goblin um Unfortunately, they did show like they had to show us some stuff in the promo material. I know they said that they would rather they they were really trying to market this as just like a Doctor Strange Peter Parker movie, and they wanted to leave all that stuff out. But as the leaks started gaining momentum and stuff like that, they were like, "We have to show some of these things to let the pressure off," right? Um, which I get, but I also kind of hate because like here we are watching this bridge scene, Doc Ock seventeen years later, and Green Goblin, you know, nineteen years later, appear on the screen. And nobody clapped for that part. Nobody was like, oh, this is awesome. Like, it kind of sucks that we, you know, we did it to ourselves being psychos, like all the fans hunting down leaks and everything. Like, we did it to ourselves, but it, mm -hmm. I was a little bit bummed about that. But after that, what, what happens is really interesting. There's a couple of things. There's this, you know, relationship between Doctor Strange and Peter Parker that's going on, which is really interesting because, yes, they work together in Infinity War, um, but really they weren't, you know, they were, they were, there was a sort of like adversarial type of relationship, and that sort of flowed over into this, where at the beginning, Doctor Strange is trying to help Peter Parker, he likes the kid, he thinks that he's a good guy, the spell goes wrong because Peter keeps interfering with it, and now all of a sudden we're back to that adversarial relationship, so it becomes this situation where Doctor Strange is like, you have to clean up this mess 
Here's the tools to do it. Go hunt down these guys. But then the other thing that gets set up here is Green Goblin as the primary villain in this movie. We get this scene where it's a, a very classic scene with Green Goblin where the mask is sort of talking to to uh, Norman Osborn, uh, very reminiscent of the first Spider-Man movie, and he smashes the mask and sort of walks away. But from that moment, I think I, it was clear to me that the Green Goblin was going to be the primary villain. Was that a surprise to you, Kirk? It was because you you don't really see the Green Goblin in those trailers. Uh, you see him fly by real quick. You see his mask, but you do not see him. Like Doc Ock is the at the forefront of all of the promo because Doc Ock is claimed in Spider-Man 2 as the greatest superhero movie ever, which I think... Now it's safe to say it has been usurped, but <laughs> yeah, I, think um, I mean, that say. comes in second. It's very easy. To, it's very easy to call that out um, because it really laid the foundation for the rest of the other uh, superhero movies to really succeed. So, yeah, I was I was shocked by that as well. But I was also happily surprised because even though in Spider-Man one Green Goblin, we we didn't. Um, we didn't get the level of of manic, uh, the level of insanity, and more so how it played into literally his mental health and that he was really trying to escape this life and he just couldn't win it. It was almost like an addiction. Uh, and uh, we got we definitely got that way back in 2002. One, yeah, two thousand two, yeah, and uh, but this this sense was was uh, more of an understanding, more of a fight, a deeper a deeper struggle. And it was really cool to see that very happy that it was the, the biggest bad of them all. Yeah. Yeah. It was really cool. And to have Willem Dafoe, I mean, he's obviously su such a gifted actor and he, he did such an incredible job in this movie, like such an incredible job. It was, it was great to have him sort of at the helm, especially start to finish. He was the guy wire to wire who was in the action the whole way. Um, other things, MJ and Ned are in on the action from the beginning, both helping Peter out. That's sort of something that was established at the end of Far From Home, uh, carried over into this movie, and I think was a really good asset for the movie. I think that that helped, again, keep it grounded. It helped balance out the you know, the stakes of the movie a little bit and, and just added some additional texture into it rather than just this being like Spider-Man's got to go solve this problem <laughs> type of movie. So that was a really nice touch. But then... From here, Peter starts collecting all of the different villains. We get Lizard, Electro. Actually, Doctor Strange captured Lizard on his own, but mm -hmm. Electro and Sandman, Peter brings them back. Uh, Norman Osborn actually finds his way to the Feast Center and has an exchange with Aunt May, which gets Aunt May to sort of believe that you know he's on, on the mend. And Peter's like, yeah, I mean, if Aunt May says that this guy's clean, I'm going to help him out. And it sets up this conflict between Peter and Dr. Strange where, where Dr. Strange is like, listen, we've now found out that all these guys die at the hands of Spider-Man. You need to allow that to run its course. And Peter in true Peter Parker fashion is like, no, like there's a, if we send these guys back, they're all going to, they're all going to die and nobody deserves to die. Um, and that sort of becomes the central focal point and conflict of the film. Uh, which, like I said, it's the perfect Peter Parker plotline, right? Like, all these bad dudes from all these different places doing bad things, and yet Peter Parker's sitting there going, how can we save them? Right. Um, pretty remarkable. So that leads to an altercation where Doctor Strange takes Peter into the mirror dimension, Peter using some geometry 
locks him in the mirror dimension, and then comes out to begin the process of saving all of the villains. So what's interesting about this, we get five villains, and I don't know about you, Kirk, I was waiting the whole time for the other shoe to drop, but I think it, it started to become clear about 45 minutes, 50 minutes in, like this was our villain set. There, there were not going to be any late entrance into the party. This was the Green Goblin show, and all of these other guys are, are here too, but this wasn't the Sinister Sticks movie that we all sort of assumed that it would be. Did that mm-hmm. surprise you? Did that disappoint you? It did surprise me, did not disappoint me, because as you're walking into that, the second act, um, you're just looking around, you're like, okay, good, this is where we're going. I think I've seen all the surprises, but we hadn't yet, (laughs) but uh, as far as the villains go, and it really was comfortable. Uh, It wasn't wasn't lacking, right? So I felt good going into act two with just those five. Yeah, I, I expected to be disappointed with it, and at first I was like, kind of in this cognitive dissonance state where I'm like, okay, so this isn't Sinister Six. Like, I guess I'm okay with that. And then as I started to think through it, I was like, I'm okay with that. It doesn't matter. Like, what we're focusing on here is this Peter multiverse thing, which is more important to the MCU than any sort of, like, fulfilling any sort of Spider-Man Sinister Six fan fiction that everybody wanted it to be. So um, it didn't feel lacking in any way. And honestly, at times, like, you can make an argument that like lizard didn't need to be there or like you can make an argument that maybe Clint, maybe Flint Marco didn't need to be there. Um, at times, at times, not, not throughout the whole thing. They all have a purpose, but there are times where you're like, what's this guy, you know, even doing here. So I think it was good that they didn't make it more busy than it needed to be. All right. So now we're transitioning into act two, which is when the plan starts to go into motion. Peter tells MJ and Ned to get out of there they're taking the magic box that has the spell in it, and it's basically the kill switch. If things go south, hit the button, release the spell. All these guys go back to their world, and it's fine. So Ned and MJ are off doing their thing. Meanwhile, Peter and Aunt May take all five baddies back to uh, Happy Hogan's little safe room. And <laughs> his, what did he call it, like the the oasis or something like that, like the right, paradise right, right. or something like that? The spiritual oasis, I think is what he says. And they start working on cures for all of these guys, which is interesting because some of these guys, you know, you're, you're starting to put the pieces together. If you've seen these movies and you're going, which of these guys can truly be reformed and which of these can't. And the, the, the guy at the top of the list that you're going, this guy is for sure underneath it all, not evil is uh, Dr. Oct, Dr. Right. Otto. Like his whole thing was that the inhibitor chip at the top of his thing went wrong, which caused the AI of the arms to take over his brain. So if you can fix the inhibitor chip, then you can fix him. And that's exactly what they did. And he actually worked with Norman Osborn to solve that. And for a while, everything is really gravy there until we get a Peter Tingle. And it's revealed that uh, Norman Osborn has left (laughs) the building and we are now left with the goblin and then things go south. Mm -hmm. We're... Let's talk about that whole sequence. Like, yep. how did you feel about Otto being brought back to the side of, of good? How did you feel about Norman being lost to the Goblin for basically the remainder of the film? Or like, Jamie Foxx's Electro certainly had a very interesting piece to play in this whole puzzle. Like, how did you feel about how that whole sequence went down? It was really great. It was really wonderful because at his core, Dr. Octopus only wanted to complete his work. And he was... 
poisoned by those by those tentacles, yep. those mechanical tentacles, as he often calls it. So it was fantastic just to see like that's exactly why he lost his mind uh, to correct that and to allow him to have his life back. It was that redemption was like really satisfying and. And then same with the other ones, like get, uh, get, the, get the lizard back his, his normal body yep. and his normal mind. His mind has been corrupt. It has been, uh, just lied to deceived by his own greed for knowledge, for wisdom. And so dial that back and we get the, we get the man behind it. Um, and then Norman Osborne, man, that, that chemical, that gas is just too strong, man. It's just too strong. Well, yeah. And I guess like, so he helps come up with the anti-serum with, yeah. with, uh, Peter. And that's the anti-serum that Aunt May ultimately uses on him. And we'll get into that in a little bit, but it ends mm-hmm. up not working. So I have to imagine that he, I think he did something to it. I think the goblin Absolutely. totally nullified it. But what I really like about this is this really nice um, dichotomy that's set up between Otto Octavius, which is the, the, like the case study for what Peter's whole plan is. He's like, see, they can be good. You know, everything that he, is doing sort of hinges on a a scenario like Otto where he really can be redeemed. And then there's the exact opposite side of the coin where you've got the goblin who is just wants nothing but chaos. You know, he is Mm -hmm. the true Mr. Hyde (laughs) to, to Norman Osborn's Dr. Jekyll. And so it's like, that's the flaw in Peter's thinking, right? It's like, this guy is just an engine of chaos and, you know, has a lust for power and destruction. There is no, redeeming someone like that um, so it sets up this really nice inner conflict that peter has to struggle through which culminates in perhaps the biggest you know anything that happens in this movie it's is the death of aunt may at the hands of the green goblin which is huge aunt may dying you know, i was talking to kirk before the movie and i was like you know i just finished the spider-man video game on ps5 and they spoiler alert for anybody playing that game earmuffs uh they kill aunt may (laughs) and i was like that is such a shocking thing and then they did it in this movie which means that spider-man you know our peter parker has has maybe lost more than any peter parker we've ever known he now has no living relatives he's lost tony stark which was basically his father figure mentor father yeah, yeah guiding light and he's lost Aunt May, his only living relative, and his rock. Um, what was your take on this and, and how it went down and the emotions and everything? Like, how did you think that that set piece all worked? Yeah, it was um, it was quite the surprise. Uh, by the time that you, you see that blood on his Spider-Man glove, it was just devastating. And you knew there was no redemption. You knew that there yeah. he didn't have anything. He couldn't have even like shot a web and like caught her, like uh, what do you call it? Uh, packed it in or anything yeah. like that. But he was, um, he was at a complete loss. He has all these powers. He has all these, um, all this knowledge, all this wisdom, but he, he couldn't save the, the one thing that mattered to him most. It was heartbreaking. Yeah. And you, in a way, you know before you even know because she delivers mm-hmm. the line of, you know, you've got a great power and with that power comes a great responsibility. She sort of right. tweaked it a little bit from the traditional, but that's mm-hmm. fine. She delivers that line and you immediately you immediately go, oh, snap. Like, she's going to die, but then your brain's like, no, they can't kill Aunt May, but then you're like, 
Uh, like I, I think they're gonna have to and sure enough they did and this seems like a perfect time to call out the fact that tom holland gave an absolute just barn burner of an acting performance i think that sometimes in these movies we get lost in the the spectacle of the comic book rightfully so and we forget that there are some really really good actors at work here and tom holland being really close to the top of that list and his performance in this movie you know, sort of exclamation point with the whole Aunt May death scene, but there are so many great moments that he's had, and it was really just like, it was almost flawless on his part, and I just can't say enough about the the way that he did, but this scene with him is when the waterworks started for me. I mean, it was yeah. brutal, brutal. And you gotta, you know, you hear all these stories when you, you get like a seasoned actor like Marissa Tomei, who played Aunt May, when they are... Um, acting with someone who is younger than them or just newer to the scene, newer to the Hollywood scene, which um, Tom Holland is no, is no rookie. <laughs> He's been around for quite some time. And I just, I can just imagine Marissa Tomei being there dead eyes, watching this play out and being amazed herself because yeah. you always hear about that. You hear the seasoned vet talk about that, like how special it was to them that they took such good care of them in moments like this. And usually it's a death scene. It's usually a death scene because it, it shows, um, yeah, it's not just a dead body. It's the weight that they carried in, in the now living, the only living character's life literally. And, uh, I mean, Marissa Tomei, Academy Award winning actress, yep. um, nominated several times. Uh, just just an incredible, incredible shapeshifter. Uh, wonderful, wonderful job all around. And and then you you get you can't have a scene this good if both parties aren't in it. And that's the magic that we saw in this scene was absolutely uh, just just out of this world. Yeah, it it was it was remarkable. And then you get um, you know happy rolls up and sees what's happened and sees Peter and he knows what's just gone down and he's just done for basically turns himself into the guys that have guns turned on him. And he's like, you know, I'm an accomplice of Spider-Man. I, whatever I can do to buy him some time to get out of here. And it's, it's highly emotional. And then we get the, the quick tone shift, which was actually done really, really well to Ned and, and MJ sort of having seen on the news what had happened and not knowing where Peter is or what has happened or, or anything really. I mean, I, th I think they're aware that Aunt May has passed away probably that, by that point because they don't really discuss it with him. Um, but they are heartbroken and it leads to Ned saying, I just wish we could see Peter. <laughs> and you see the little sparkle with the sling ring. Uh, it had been led up to in the in the movie that Ned might be magic because sometimes he feels like a tingling in his hands. And so he got uh, Dr. Strange's sling ring when he got locked in the mirror dimension. And it turns out that Ned Leeds actually can summon portals and do things within the mystic arts. Um, they decide to open a portal to Peter Parker and what Peter Parker do they stumble upon? But Mr. Andrew Garfield, <laughs> he comes in and this was the goosebump scene, Kirk that I mentioned earlier. <clears throat> This was the scene mm -hmm. where as soon as you see the suit, you know. I mean, if you're a fan, you're like, this is, you know, this is Andrew. And he looks and he does the little, like, Andrew Garfield wave at, at them as he's coming yes. through the portal. And it's just goosebumps, <laughs> goosebumps, goosebumps. And he walks in and, you know, he knows that they're, they know that he's Peter. And so he feels comfortable taking off the mask. And it's just, boom, crowd goes absolutely 
ballistic pandemonium at this point. Was this like, do you feel like that was peak reaction in the movie or was there a scene that was bigger than that? I feel like, uh, as far as audible, yes, that was, that was peak reaction. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because, um, there's a big dramatic scene later that just like, just like wins my heart and I'll think of it for the rest of my life. This one was critical. This one took a lot of care and this is why it gets the 10 for me as well. I've said it. We've both given it 10s, ladies and gentlemen, because this could be very much so, uh, a gimmick it could be very much so a cameo scene and you knew after they spent more than 30 seconds on screen that they weren't going anywhere they weren't stepping back into the portal and bye-bye they just wanted to show them just to say hey there's a multiverse we'll see you in the next iteration of spider-man trilogy 2 episode 1 um i i just i just really thought that it was quite perfect how they reintroduce these characters to us as if as and as exactly as they said it they had just stepped out of their world the last time we saw them yeah yeah absolutely and uh yeah it was you know we all the leaks all the everything kirk you and i saw it all so we you know you and i were as close to 100 percent knowing they were in this movie as possible um Sometimes I wish we hadn't been some, you know, sometimes I wish I could take it all back and wish I had no idea because what a moment it would have been, but it was still like, you still don't know until you know. Right. And so when that scene finally came and it's the one that we've all been waiting for and it's the ultimate Spider-Man fan service moment, it was just so electric. And Andrew Garfield is the perfect guy to use for this because he's an incredible actor and off the screen he's a huge spider-man fan and loves this character and he understands what this moment meant and what it means to people like what it really means to people and so he was able to deliver in that moment and then right afterwards we get toby walking in in his street clothes uh and they have this great exchange with mj and ned you know toby and, and andrew are shooting webs at each other in ned's lola's house like there's this great setup and it finally builds to them going to find Peter. And that scene, we'll call this the end of Act 2, where they meet with Peter, and Peter's just at the lowest of low. He like wants to die, and he wants to kill everybody, but mostly the Green Goblin. Yeah. And they're having this exchange of like, you know, I know what you've been through. And he's like, you have no idea what I've been through. And they're both like, all right. You know, they, they understand him in a way that's, that no one else can because they are him and they have this great exchange where it's like they're talking about everything they've lost. And there's this character building, not just of Peter, but not just of Tom Holland, Peter, but of the other Peters too. There's this, there's this building of like Toby and like what, what his Peter Parker has been up to now that he's like an older version of Spider-Man and what's been going on. And he's, he's got this very different demeanor about him and he really cares about this Peter Parker because he sees it as a chance to go back and and make sure that he doesn't make the mistakes that he made. And then on the flip side, you've got Andrew Garfield, which is in a similar similar vein, but he's talking mm-hmm. about how he went into like kind of Batman mode after the death of Gwen Stacy, which is really, really interesting. He's talking about mm-hmm. the rage and he stopped pulling his punches and all this stuff. I got to know just 
highlights from that whole sequence and kind of how you felt about that. Yeah, it really makes me want to see more of that. I want to go back into those universes and see a little glimpse of it. Um, What I also loved in this moment is that, uh, just as you said, you know, we got way more interaction with MJ and Ned. And when they are consoling Tom Holland over Aunt May, um, I mean, just just waterworks. I mean, they they not finally I don't want to say finally, but they they found the path to build these uh, secondary characters into your mainstream characters. Like if we get another Spider-Man movie and we don't have MJ and Ned in them, I'm going to be mad because I feel like in the first one, you could have dropped them halfway through the movie and I would have been fine. Second one, same thing. But on the path to this film, they really found a way to give us a full, um, a full structure, a full arc for each of them. And they finally, finally utilized Zendaya in the way that she was supposed to be used. And then getting back to uh, the Spider-Man, Spider-Man one, two, and three, this is the moment I was talking about. The, the biggest moment in this movie for me is when uh, Peter Parker, Tom Holland expresses with great power. And then Tobey Maguire finishes his sentence comes great responsibility and all of their minds just click. It's like they've been uh, synchronized in that moment, like a, like a device. And it's like, it just ignites them and unites them to move forward. So that right there is, that's where I got the 10 out of 10 because it would be so easy for them to mess that up because it could come off as so cheesy, but because the makers of this film knew, again, the weight of what yes. this means to so many people, they just skated right through it and handed us one of the most incredible pieces in cinematic history. Yeah, and they didn't stop there, right? So transitioning no. into Act 3, they start to they start to formulate a plan to work together to get this job done. And there's a few things I love about this. First of all, exactly what you're talking about, this like meeting of minds, it continues in these really small really intentional, intimate breakouts where you've got Toby talking to Andrew, Peter talking to Andrew, you know, Toby talking to Ned, Andrew talking to Ned, MJ talking to to Peter. Like there's all these different yes. little things and there's so much development happening in each thing and they're addressing every possible thing you could <laughs> want to be addressed. Like what's going on with Toby and Mary Jane Watson? What's going on with Andrew after Gwen's death? You know, like, what where what's what headspace are they in are they still spider-man like what what's happening and you know then you've got ned and mj curious about what happens to them in these other universes and what their life looks like and it's it's fun it's heartfelt it's light but it's also just really solid character dev really good dialogue and it's not it never feels forced it never feels campy or cheesy or weird it just feels so appropriate for the moment and it's just fan service at the utmost i mean they even did the freaking web shooter thing where toby's like what's that and he's like oh this is my web fluid i use it for this is how i refill my web shooters and he's like oh and he shoots web and they're like how did you do you know they they did all of the different (laughs) possible things but um i really was impressed by the way that they were committed to not only developing our current spider-man but also going back and talking about what these guys have been up to and what's going on and really building out their characters in a way that we'll talk about it at the end, but in a way that they could potentially carry on again as in a new life as, as Spider-Man once again. Yes. Um, so they formulate this master plan doing some 
Peter Parker science stuff. And the one thing I really like is this through line of Tom Holland has now come back from the brink of losing it, but he's still, the battle for his soul still rages on. And on the one end of that battle is the Green Goblin, which is looming. And, and, and Tom Holland very much wants a piece of that guy still. And on the other end of that battle is actually Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man, Peter Parker. And he has these really intentional moments where he's looking at Tom and he's saying, we're going to cure them all, right? Because it's what we do. It's what we do. Mm-hmm. Like, we can't lose that. This is our responsibility. This is our mission. And that's the sort of tug of war. So once again, there's this really beautiful thing of it being the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man versus the Green Goblin. But this time what hangs in the balance is the soul of this Peter Parker. And personally, I just, I love that. I love that so much. And so mm-hmm. they set up for the epic battle at the top of the Statue of Liberty, which is being christened with the new Captain America shield that we saw in Hawkeye. Um, so some more MCU tie-ins there. And they get the first three villains there, which we saw in the trailer. Electro's there. He's now got the arc reactor. We've got Sandman and we've got the lizard. And they've got cures for all of them. And they get to work with that. Um, Ned and MJ are in on it using the portal to sort of get things together. But at first we get this whole team building sort of thing where all these Spider-Mans don't know how to work together. Talk about... Right how you felt about them doing that. Like, did you like that portion of it, of this idea of like the spider people don't know how to work together, but that's what they can get from Tom Holland. That's what he brings to the table because he was an Avenger. Right, right. I loved how kind of messy it was at the beginning because it would be very easy to have three superheroes roll in, just like destroy these villains who aren't as powerful as them in many ways. And it really, it could have been, it could have been campy. First we get another, uh, like you said, talking about talking about the webs, talking about just kind of life again, right there while they're on the scaffolding, waiting for them to arrive because they've uh, they've pressed the bait. They they threw out a a video stream to Jay Jameson, uh, and they're waiting for them to come. They they knew they would, and that gets just uh, just rolled into this again this messy fight, and then they come together and they they play off that they don't know the Avengers, which is hilarious because they didn't get that far in their journey, and again they're in different universes. So I love that they were able to figure it out because Spider Man uh, traditionally um, is is kind of a one man show. He pops into the Avenger and pops out, you know, and he does his thing. And so definitely Toby and Andrew knew only this as well. I loved the whole progression of that. Yeah, it was excellent. And in, in, in the middle of this fight, so you start off with just the first three and you get this moment where uh, Andrew Garfield is pivotal in curing the lizard and he gets to have his moment with Dr. Kurt Connors. And then you have Toby, uh, Toby McGuire's Spider-Man is pivotal in, in curing Flint Marco and he has his moment with the Sandman and in the midst of it you have all these other things happening and then as it builds Doctor Strange comes back into the fold as Ned opens a portal <laughs> accidentally bringing him back and uh, you also get Doc Ock as Electro is about to finish off our heroes and really end them Doc Ock comes in for his big redemption scene where he feigns that he's going to be with Electro, he's like, let me handle this. And then he actually takes Electro out, uh, setting up for only one big villain left, Green Goblin. But as this is happening, you have all these different moments of redemption. First of all, Peter Parker, Tobey Maguire's Peter Parker, and Otto Octavius, Alfred Molina, getting a chance to talk to each other once again as friends, the mentor-mentee relationship, and him, like, 
that Tobey Maguire, Peter Parker gets to see Otto on the other side of it. And then the scene that really kind of ruined me, <laughs> like where this crying became ugly crying, is uh, when the Green Goblin comes back into the fold and MJ falls off of the scaffolding and she's falling to her death. Tom Holland jumps after her, gets clipped by the glider, and MJ's free falling. And Andrew Garfield sees the opportunity, saves her, and just immediately falls apart because he saved her and he wasn't able to save uh, Gwen. And it was just, oh man, I, like I don't know about you, but that scene absolutely wrecked me. And MJ, it was so great yeah. because Andrew Garfield goes like, "Are you okay?" And MJ's like, "Are you okay?" Are you he, okay? <laughs> he's just like crying and nodding yes. So. You have all these little scenes of redemption. Redemption for Doc Ock. Closure for Tobey Maguire's Peter Parker. Closure for Andrew Garfield's Peter Parker. And also redemption for him. And then also you have Tom Holland, who is the youngest of the bunch, but also adding all of this combat wisdom and things like that into the fold. It was just a really, really well-rounded sequence that ultimately sets up the final battle between Green Goblin and the Tom Holland Peter Parker. Yeah, it really is lovely how redemption and second chances just echoed throughout all of this, not only for the villains, but for our heroes, what they unfinished business, things they wish they could have changed, things that were out of their control. And now they uh, hindsight's 2020 and they say, oh, I could have done this. You know, the classic death of Gwen Stacy uh, with he shot her with the web. He should have swung down and got her snapped her neck. Right. It's absolutely incredible. Yeah, that wrecked me, wrecked me as well. It was brutal. Uh, so we get set up for this final battle with Green Goblin and Tom Holland's Peter Parker finds himself in the, in a position to really off him and Toby and Andrew look at each other and they're like, this is our chance to step in. And what I liked about this scene is that Toby grabs the glider that Tom Holland is trying to use to kill the goblin and Toby's looking at his eyes and Tom is still, he's like, I have to kill him. I have to kill him. I know that it's you behind there, but I have to get him. And Toby ends up taking a hit with, you know, with a spike from the Green Goblin. And that's ultimately what brings him, you know, brings Tom Holland back from the edge here. He's finally decided. But this really nice moment of, like, that Tobey Maguire, Peter Parker, has seen it all. And he is, he knows what hangs in the balance here. And more important than the Goblin, who has taken so much from Peter, like, or from Toby, like, I keep saying Peter, there's three of them, but <laughs> the goblin that, that has taken so much from Toby, he still knows that the most important battle here is the one for Tom Holland, Peter Parker's soul, and he's willing to sacrifice himself for that. Um, was, was it a fitting finish? Was the battle, did it live up to the hype, Kirk? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean... I should have seen that spike coming into the back I of know, Tobey Maguire, I know, but I man. didn't. I didn't, and it, it's it's so perfect because that's what Green Goblin does at the last at the last second. He just stab, literally just stabs you in the back. That's what he always does. Yes, it's his classic <laughs> he's move. So dirty, man. And man, that was great that it that it really snapped him out. I also loved right before that when he when uh, Tom Holland is just in a a rage fog and just like pummeling him you see an unfortunate um realization of how ugly the world is have you ever been in life where you're just like yeah i want to sit in this anger i want to live here in this anger and you get this teenager this senior in high school figuring that out uh in addition to being one of the most powerful beings on earth <laughs> that's why he's so relatable peter parker has zits and he can't afford college and now all of a sudden he's fighting one of the biggest bads in the world it's so cool uh that that final scene 
scene, I didn't know how they were going to finish it off after such a such a perfectly well crafted film, and they did it. Of course, they did it. They figured it out again. Yeah, and and you could say that all of that was sort of expected, right? Like we knew that we knew that Green Goblin would eventually have to go down, right? But what what happens right after? We didn't totally expect. At least I didn't. Right. Which is that. The spell issue is still a thing, and Doctor Strange is trying to stitch the multiverse back together, but he's got his hands full. And you can see the other villains and and people from all the other multiverses starting to come through. Um, And Peter says, you know, change the spell, make them forget all about me. And and Doctor Strange says, this is interesting, because it's, it's interesting to... For the Peter Parker Doctor Strange relationship, Doctor Strange has now seen who Peter Parker is as a person mm-hmm. and what he's up to, and he says, "I'm not going to do that because then all the people who love you, we won't know who you are. We won't we. remember." He includes himself in that statement because now Doctor Strange understands that he loves him because of what he represents, and that's what Spider-Man's all about, which is a really beautiful moment. But the big surprise ending here is that. Peter makes the decision to erase himself, meaning Peter Parker, not just Spider-Man, Peter Parker from everybody's memory. So Spider-Man will still exist in people's minds, but no one will know who Peter Parker is and no one will know that Peter Parker is Spider-Man, including MJ, Ned Leeds, Happy Hogan, all of the Avengers, any hero he's ever fought with, anybody, J. Jonah Jameson, no one. And it sets up a pretty interesting ending where we have a sort of like end of Dark Knight Rises situation here where it's like, or really like an it's a wonderful life type of situation where Peter walks into the MJ, the coffee shop that MJ works at, and it's clear that she has no idea who he is. And they had made this arrangement to sort of, when you, when you see me again, you know, tell, tell me that you love me and tell me everything that happened. And Peter's got it all written out and he's ready to say it. But then he sees that, She's not heard anymore and she gets to go to college and Ned gets to go to college and they're going together and everything's good. And he's like, you know what? I'm out. What are you, what was your reaction to this ending? Because I think me, I was pretty floored by it. Floored as well. Absolutely. Um, but it was such a responsible thing to do. Um, you know, his friends carried him so far, carried him through all of his successes and were there in, in his darkest moments. And he's going to live with that responsibility. But his friends truly are amazing people, but they're they're not responsible for the same things he is. So getting a chance to let them live out their lives to to not put themselves in danger it has to be rewarding, but it's so painful. So he went the responsible route. He said, I, I can't bring these people along for my own selfish needs, for for them to be beside me, for to make me feel good, to encourage me when I'm putting their lives in such grave danger and they won't be able to defend themselves. I'll have to keep saving them and saving them and saving them. So it really was, it was painful, but it was it was perfect at the same time. That's right, because Peter Parker really is the ultimate tragic hero. It's one of those things that really sets him apart, is that every iteration from Peter of Peter Parker has sacrificed greatly and has to live with that sacrifice. And the route that he chooses to go is the road less traveled. You know, he really chooses to take the high road. He doesn't kill people. He, he sees the best in people no matter what. And that leads to this situation where it's like he can't be... Peter Parker and Spider-Man at the same time. He has to separate them and live these two separate lives. And that has complications 
all together with it. But I thought it was bold, Kirk. I, I mean, just because the MCU has always been talked about for being so formulaic and they don't like to kill people and they like to, you know, it's for mass appeal. They're trying to make sure everything's all good and dandy. And even with Infinity War, when people died, they came back to life. And like, if you look at the MCU today, there aren't that many significant characters who have truly died on screen, you know, outside of really Tony Stark, which was a huge deal. But this felt significant because they've put in so much work on the MJ and Peter Parker relationship, on the Ned and Peter Parker relationship, and the three mm -hmm. of them together as a collective. And now it feels like, at least temporarily, <laughs> that dynamic is not going to exist. So with that, that puts a bow on Spider-Man No Way Home. We're crossing the one-hour mark now on this review, but I do want to talk about some things that we would normally do if we were doing this for spilled popcorn, which is some MCU implications and, and some Sony Spider-Verse implications as a result of this movie. But before we get into that, is there anything else you want to add on the film itself that we missed before we get into the speculation? Gosh, man, my heart is like exhausted because I felt like we just relived the movie again for you. I only got to see it once. It's your yeah. third time through this roller coaster. It's only my second. And uh, I don't think I have the sea legs just yet. <laughs> I feel you, so. man. It's a, it's an emotional ride for sure. Uh, let's get into some quick hitters and implications. Let's start with those post credit scenes. So we got two of them. The first one is was set up by the end credit scene at the end of Venom, Let There Be Carnage, which is Tom Hardy's Venom, Eddie Brock, is at a bar, and he's having a conversation about Thanos, and it's all very funny and light, but then at the end, he, like all the rest of the multiverse beings, gets zapped back to their reality, but what he leaves behind is a little bit of symbiotic goo from Venom. Gross. So the question here, Kirk, many of them, Will Venom appear in the MCU? And if so, did they just set up a separate Venom for the MCU and the Sony Spider-Verse? Yes, yes, and yes. Uh, I think I think you are uh, spot on on all of this. As soon as the movie ended, um, you had stated, you know, maybe that maybe they kick they kick us off still over in the Sony-verse uh, with Tom Holland over there first, which would be a better transition because of how wild and crazy Venom is versus where Tom Holland is in his journey that we have seen, right? So I feel like there's a they need to connect first over on the Sony side, and Venom needs one more movie with Tom Holland to develop who he really is. Not you mean Tom just Hardy or Tom Holland? Both Tom Holland oh, okay. and Tom Hardy. Gotcha. Yep, I feel like they need to get get another another Sony movie in, and obviously the, it's it's all muddy now because it is MCU. It's connected now, no matter what. But it needs to be Sony specific, Venom specific, where he is battling Tom Holland, Spider Man, and um, getting getting closer to what the MCU mold is because still it's very far away. Yeah, that's a good call out. I think. I think the big question that that raises is like what I kind of expected was at the end of this movie to be in a place where you felt like multiversal leaps could happen at any moment. And yet you still don't really feel there, right? Because like Dr. Strange stitches things back up and like maybe we'll find out later that it wasn't the cleanest stitch job and some things got through the cracks. But like how does Tom Holland go about getting to the other universe where the tom hardy venom is you know we know that there's a madam web co movie coming maybe that's the way that they pull pull it all together 
Um, but that, I think that question still lingers. But at least for right now, it does really seem like the Tom Hardy Venom will remain in Sony land and Tom Holland may have the ability to jump back and forth, but that there may actually be a different Venom, maybe even a different Eddie Brock in the MCU, which will remain to be seen. So that's really interesting. Um, The second credit scene we got was really a trailer, and it was actually a a full theatrical trailer for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, and there is a ton going on in this trailer. Highlights, uh, Doctor Strange is collaborating with Wanda to pull things back together. Wong is mad at Doctor Strange for the whole situation that happened in uh, this Spider-Man movie. You know, mm-hmm. there's some dialogue at the beginning. Mordo, played by Chiwetel Ejiofor, um, is back. And, uh, yeah, I mean, there's just craziness happening. There's there's the evil Doctor Strange, which appears to be the... I don't, I don't even know if it's safe to say, like, is that the what if Doctor Strange? Is it? Because it looks like the tentacle monster from what if is there. So you'd have yeah. to imagine that it is him. But, like, is it possible that's just a different version of that same story? Or is it actually that Doctor Strange? I think it's that Doctor Strange because it was so specific. Like, I mean... I know it's a cartoon. <laughs> what if it is animated and this is the live action version of it, but he doctor, uh, the MCU sacred timeline timeline, Dr. Strange meets this super villain, Dr. Strange. And it has to be, it has to be. Um, and so if he's interdimensional, why can't he change forms from, yeah. you know, cartoon to, <laughs> to real life? Yeah. And actually, which th- that would be great because it would give what if, a reason for existing, which would be good and hopefully make it better for season two, which I think mm-hmm. it will be anyway. But um, maybe this is the movie where the multiversal leaps become more apparent because the whispers around this movie, which are very few and far between. In fact, I think this movie is actually more under wraps than Spider-Man no way home yes. uh, was ever. And maybe it's because it's not a Sony project you know sony tends to be a little leakier than the mcu but we really know nothing about dr strange and the multiverse of madness but people who are close to it say that the cameo landscape is going to be insane that the people that we the appearances that we get in this movie are going to be nuts um and maybe maybe even more so mind-blowing than what we saw in spider-man no way home so I'm very intrigued. They didn't show much in this trailer except for that Wanda's involved. Doctor Strange doesn't even want to talk about Westview. He's like, let's go. I need your help. What do you know about the multiverse? Let's figure this out. We've got the dark Doctor Strange who appears to be the main villain of this movie because Wong even says that, you know, the biggest threat to our universe is actually you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Rachel McAdams is back in this movie, <laughs> which is awesome. And Mordo is back. And... I mean, I'm expecting X-Men. I'm expecting everything. Fantastic oh, Four. I think wow. it's gonna get I think it's gonna get nutso. I think the I think now that we got Matt Murdock from the Netflix series, now that we have Toby and Andrew back, like anything Marvel that has existed, Fox, etc., is on the table. So I think we're gonna get some old X-Men guys in here, maybe Hugh Jackman. Maybe this is where Deadpool comes into play. I oh think it's going to get absolutely bananas in this movie. Yeah, you know, maybe we can uncover that, uh, oh, what do they call him? 
Evan Peters in in yes. one division, whatever his lame exit was. That he we go Ralph back Boner. to yeah. yes, we go back to uh, Xavier's school for the gifted, and we see the X Men. That's a very I didn't think about that. That's a very real possibility. I think it's going to get bananas, but we'll have plenty of time to talk about that movie. So we'll get into it more. But that's I don't know when they're going to release that trailer online, but it's out there. And right now, as far as I know, the only way you can see it is by going to see this movie in theaters. So right. uh, make Shocking. sure you stick around to the very end. It was very exciting. Okay. So good. A couple of other quick hitters. I mean, the big question on the table, do we see Andrew Garfield again as Spider-Man? Do we see Tobey Maguire again as Spider-Man? Do we see both? Do we see neither? Go. Both. Absolutely. The question. Wow. <laughs> I, I was fully prepared, and I think I called it out in one of our other episodes that they would kill Andrew Garfield. Yes, you did. Because uh, he is uh, such he is such a superstar, right? Like, all of them are. Tobey Maguire's set back in his career in a different path right now, but I really thought Andrew Garfield was going to take one, take the spike, and then Tobey Maguire did. So I think the, the, they're definitely going to be here in some, in some other way. They, they will be back in at least one other film. One of them is going to be in multiple films. I don't know what that looks like. Um, I don't know what it looks like. There are rumblings online of saying throw Andrew Garfield back on his own standalone. Yeah, let's talk about it. Like, do you yeah. think that they'll? Do you think they'll do it? Do I you hope think they we can have? We can. I mean, because there's no reason now, right? With all the different multiverse stuff happening in Sony, happening in MCU land, there's no reason we can't have three different, four different Spider Mans. We could. We could potentially be in a scenario where you've got. You know, Andrew Garfield, Spider-Man, Tom Holland, Spider-Man, and then Miles Morales all doing different things. And then Toby pops in from time to time. Like, do you think that that is going to happen? I th- I think it needs to happen because uh, every so Toby and Tom have both gotten their third Spider-Man film. You no, know, regardless of Spider-Man three, Sam Raimi, whatever you want to yeah. talk about it. <laughs> but, you know, his uh, Andrew Garfield's time was definitely cut short. And however you thought of Andrew Garfield as the character versus the production and story value that they were putting in Spider-Man at that time, you're wrong. Because when you see this and you see Andrew <laughs> Garfield just skate through this uh, this film and just be an absolute baller connected to his character in, in both sincere heart and sincere humor and just sincere human, uh, it's just really, really really necessary to see him get get at least one more run at this. I don't know if they'll do it but I really hope they do. Yeah, I'm leaning towards Andrew Garfield being in the fold. I, I would almost say no to Toby, but why leave him alive if you're not going to use him in some way, shape, or form, even if small? Like, what you could have just easily killed him, and it would have been impactful, but they specifically chose not to. Right. So it'll be interesting to see. Okay, a couple last quick hitters. The MJ, Ned, Peter Parker situation. How long does it take to get that? resolved is it the Mm. next spider-man movie is it the end of the next spider-man trilogy like how long are we hanging in the balance on this Mm. i think it has to happen quickly because they found the magic with those characters and the next spider-man movie might not come out for two years three years so i think it happens whatever the next iteration is they find each other again yeah i I tiptoe that line because i feel like it does have to happen quickly but i also feel like that has to have weight you don't you don't want to like throw it out the window though the fans would love for it to be thrown out the window immediately i'm sure like people will be devastated by it but we'll see i I tend to lean your direction but i do think that there is something to be said for making that decision carry a lot of weight uh Mm -hmm. because it was sort of set up to do so 
All right, last one. And we're getting ready to record our Hawkeye Episode 5 review. This movie, very specifically, in my opinion, and I believe yours as well, Kirk, based on what we've talked about, places itself as happening right around Hawkeye. It does. Why would they do that if not for Spider-Man or Peter Parker to appear in some way, shape, or form? What's your take? Hawkeye season finale comes out in two days. Is Spidey in it? Even for a second, is he in it? Yes, he's in it. I've seen the future. (laughs) He is in it, for sure. I think that with everyone forgetting who Peter Parker is, I think it's perfectly acceptable, even if they just bump into each other as he's walking out of that bakery, just after he sees MJ and Ned walking through their new lives, and Hawkeye is walking to a cab to get on the plane to go see his family. I don't know what it looks like. It's either that or Spider-Man pops in and helps save Hawkeye with some some sort of battle against, I'm, I'm assuming, you know, the big guy. So it's it has to happen. It has to happen. We'll see. We'll see. So obviously there's tons more to discuss. I have questions on here that we didn't even get to. I'm sure we'll talk about it at some point, either in Spilled Popcorn on this podcast or otherwise. But that is our full, and I mean full, deep dive, spoiler full review of Spider-Man No Way Home. If you've seen the movie, don't spoil it for people, but please hit us up on social media. We do want to talk to you about it. Um, And we can't wait for the next one. It's been a fun ride. What a fun movie review to cap off 2021 with. And we will see you guys uh, for spilled popcorn on the Hawkeye side. But have a great holiday if this is the last episode you listen to before Christmas. And uh, we will see you in the new year. Talk to you then. Bye.